Man, it was cold this morning. I had to scrape my windshield off as I was coming to church. And, you know, it's just not that cold here usually. So I guess we're lucky. Uh, as we, uh, just some highlights from this week. Uh, you know, Ash Wednesday, as I was talking about earlier, um, I, on that day, I, I went through one of the drive throughs here in town and, and this very helpful woman uh, looked through the drive through window at my forehead and she's like, oh boy, you have a really dark smudge on your forehead. <laughs> and I'd forgotten actually that it was there. And I was like, oh, well, it's supposed to be there. It's a, I was at an Ash Wednesday service and, and she's like, okay. And she, you know, goes away and she comes back and I said, you know, I guess it's really nice to know that you have friends in town that will tell you if you have like stuff stuck between your feet. And she's like, oh, I do that all the time. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, thank you very much. I guess seeing ashes on people's forehead isn't super common here. And that's when it occurred to me, you know, I grew up in the Midwest. Um, I grew up in a very rural place, but it was a large Catholic community. I, I went to college and university in Chicago, also huge Catholic community. It was not uncommon to see people with ashes on their foreheads and not think that they had like, you know, dirt. You're always like, oh, that's right. It's Ash Wednesday. So Corey and I were talking about it this week and she grew up in Southern California and she had literally never seen that really knew of it until she went to college. And I started thinking like, well, maybe it's just a regional thing. You know, the, the Mountain West, the Midwest, it's just not as common or um, seen or it's, or it's seen as a Catholic thing. Whereas, you know, I grew up in this weird place where everybody does it, I guess. So uh, that practice um, started, I don't even know when it started, but it's been something that Christians have done in the body of Christ forever and ever. And so um, forever and ever, for hundreds, thousands of years. And it is an important milestone, I think, or a marker in our year, just to be reminded of how fragile and how precious that our life is lived out before the Lord. And so with it, it's with that kind of in mind that we, we turn to our new series that we're beginning here for the season of Lent or through Easter, and it's called Jesus Says. And each week we're going to highlight one of the statements that Jesus makes about himself. You know, this is, this is Jesus on Jesus. And that's, you know, who is Jesus? That's one of the questions that is so relevant or still relevant today. So many people grapple with that. And he makes a number of these revealing statements about who he is as he understands himself. And so this week, we're going to look at when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. That's our first Jesus says statements. And we've got these prayer cards in the back. Let me see if I can dig it out for you. A pile of stuff here. And uh, these were developed uh, by our denomination. Actually, a woman named Tammy Long wrote this as a, as a prayer week. It's actually a prayer week from 2021. We just weren't able to do it last year. And so we're doing it this year. And uh, these are for you to take home. And there's a devotional thought on one side and then this image on the other. And also a prayer practice, which may or may not be new to you. Um, you know, prayer comes in all shapes and sizes. There's no one size fits all. What matters for Christians is who we're praying to. We pray to the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so 
the prayer practice is a breath prayer. And I like these prayers because they're short, right? I mean, it's a breath prayer. You're meant to say it like in the span of a breath. And so there's some suggestions for you to contemplate and some, some breath prayers on the back there. And these are really helpful in times of stress or anxiety. Uh, but also, you know, you can kind of mentally go through this, you know, Jesus, bread of my life, might be when you're inhaling, you nourish and fill me as you're exhaling. I mean, these are just kind of things that are there. So you're waiting for a meeting to start, you're waiting for class to start, or you're sitting at a stoplight or whatever. This might come to mind. Say the breath prayer for the week. And so we'll have these available. They're available in the back. You can pick one up and try it out this week. Well, last year, uh, TV shows, a new series started or was produced called Ted Lasso. I have made fun of Ted Lasso before. Um, actually, this is my second time. And so Ted Lasso, it's a humorous storyline about an American football coach moving to England and becoming an English football coach, a.k.a. soccer coach. You know, there's nothing that they have in common, which is what makes it funny, okay? And uh, one of the team's best players, one of the characters in that, his name is Danny, and he has this mantra that he repeats over and over again. And for those of you who've seen Ted Lasso, you know what the mantra is. He says, football is life. And he's, his character is from South America, so he says it more like football He's live. <laughs> and I mean, he says it all the time. It's hello for him. He comes into a room. Football is life. It's goodbye for him. Football is life. I mean, he says it over and over and over again. And uh, my question for you this morning is, have you ever been that passionate about anything in your life? You know, it could be a sport like soccer. It could be uh, uh, another hobby. You know, for me, it'd be like, Outdoors, hunting, fishing, things like that. Uh, maybe it's traveling for you. It could be a place that you volunteer that you feel so passionate about. It could be people in your life like your grandkids. All of these things bring such joy and such meaning to our life. And, you know, we might not quite take it to the level of saying, you know, like, oh, I love snowshoeing. Snowshoeing is life. Okay, we might not quite take it to that level. But we understand that these things feed a need deep, deep, deep inside of us. And uh, often that need of what the feeling that we get from doing that, we just want more of it. And so often we confuse that need or that wanting more with having more life, more purpose, more joy, more whatever you, however you want to fill in the blank. And when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he's challenging that specific belief that having more of whatever it is that we might chase after is going to bring us more life. And so we're going to continue where we left off a couple of weeks ago in John chapter 6. And um, throughout my you know, life as a follower of Christ, John chapter 6, is a, it's this chapter that begins with Jesus feeding the 5,000, and then he walks on water. And I mean, it's like the greatest hits of Jesus. But the last part of John chapter 6, if you read it this week, you'll just go, huh? It, 
Jesus makes, it's Jesus talking and nobody's understanding. What, I mean, at one point he says, you know, you, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And, and it says, the disciples tell Jesus, like, this is a hard teaching. They're like, well, yeah, you think so? Jesus, what are you saying? And in the midst of all of that part of John chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. It's just mean for us as followers of Jesus. And, uh, you know, he's just performed this miraculous feeding of 5,000 people or 5,000 men, so there's even more women and children. He only had a couple of fish, a few loaves. It was this massive sign of Jesus' power. Who is this Jesus? And Jesus was doing it to test his disciples' faith or stretching their faith in him. He was also making a statement He was making a statement to the people of Israel that in Jesus, there is one greater present than all of the other prophets combined. And the way that we could tell this when Jesus performs his miracle, it's often lost on us as Westerners living 2,000 years later. But the people at the time who were there, they would not have missed this. It's verse 12. Let me read it for you. After this miracle feeding when they had all had enough to eat he said to his disciples gather the pieces that are left over let nothing be wasted and so they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten and so here's where i want to begin this morning it's with the key word in that couple verses right there the word enough. We even sang it in a song this morning, enough. That Jesus is enough. And as a follower of Christ, at some point I have to trust that Jesus is enough. And usually I'm tempted to want more. Give me more, Jesus. But I've learned that in Jesus, I already have enough. I got enough time, I got enough money, enough possessions, enough pleasure, purpose, peace, compassion, forgiveness, grace, have enough love. However, I want to complete that sentence, I have enough. And Jesus here confronts one of our most basic human desires it's our appetite or appetites. It's one of our most basic human desires. It's been short-circuited because we always want more. You know, it's no surprise that the first temptation that Jesus faces when he's taken out into the, he's led out into the wilderness by Satan to be tested, the first temptation is, is really about Jesus's, it has to do with his appetite, with his literal hunger. He, Satan's like, hey, you're hungry, turn these stones into bread. And even in the Garden of Eden, Satan again is at work, and you know it's Adam and Eve this time, and it's their stomach that was the vehicle for temptation. And they give in. I don't think they were necessarily hungering for the fruit that was being offered. They were hungering after something that looked 
advantageous to them to be like God. They hungered to be their own gods. And so all of us, uh, you know, our appetite has pretty much sold us out ever since. We've all got appetites for food, for drink, yes. But it goes further than that. Our uh, devotional here, Tammy Long, let me quote her. She says, we also hunger for love. We hunger for purpose, for safety, for protection. We hunger to be known for joy, for peace. The list goes on. You know, God has made us actually to have those needs. But sin has corrupted, has distorted our appetite. And it's like it's stuck on more right now. You know, this whole appetite and just wanting more and more and more and more and more, more and more of the good things that God has put in our life. You know, that's one of the reasons why we fast, why the spiritual practice of fasting is, is so important for us. It's one of the things that we do during Lent or that we're encouraged to do. And, um, you know, fasting, often it's a food item that we decide that we're going to give up. Or sometimes, you know, we might fast from, from food during the daylight hours or for a 24-hour period or however long that might be. Sometimes it's, you know, I'm going to give up chocolate for the next six weeks. And that might sound like a cop-out, but it's actually a really helpful thing to help train our appetites, to help expand our soul. You know, every time that we feel that desire, that urge to, you know, go get the sweet or go do whatever it is that we're giving up, you know, we're telling ourselves, you know, instead of hungering for that, Lord, I want to hunger for you. And every time that desire, that appetite pops up, that you tell yourself that. Instead of hungering for that, Lord, I want to hunger for more of you. Or it could be Jesus' sacrifice. You know, God, you gave up, uh, you know, I'm going to give up this little thing for you. Help me to understand all that you've given up for me. And yeah, Jesus gave his life up for us, so we're getting a pretty good trade here. It's a pretty great exchange. In fact, in John chapter 6, Jesus is telling us that it's even better than that, if you can believe it. He says, on the day that Jesus fed the 5,000 people, the disciples gathered up leftovers, 12 baskets full. It was more than enough. The number 12 is significant. 12 is the 12 tribes in Israel. It's the 12 disciples. You know, God is saying here that he provides for his people. Jesus provides for God's people, and he does it abundantly. Even in the season of Lent, where we're giving things up, it's good for us to think about God's abundance. And God's abundance is always something that sounds a bit too good to be true to me. Maybe it's just me, I don't know. But all of us, growing up in Western civilization, especially here in the United States, we've been carefully trained to understand a reality of scarcity. You know that goods and resources are hard to come by. They're scarce. There's a limited supply. And uh, we just assume that in any given situation, uh, if, if we're really good, we prepare for it. And quite honestly, most of us are scared of our goods and resources running out. And so we try our best to, to manage those things, whether it's 
money or natural resources or time. We're trying to manage those resources and we're trying to manage our fear. Because what if we run out? What if there's not enough? Well, Jesus is constantly chipping away at that mindset. And if you start to pay attention as Jesus teaches, as you read through the Gospels, as you read through all of the New Testament, you'll see that mindset. Because it's not just us Westerners. It's like a human thing. It's under siege. It makes us turn away from God and to other things, other idols in our life. Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, he said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. You think about how often Jesus taught in parables. How often he said things where you're like, what exactly does Jesus mean there? And yet on this front, he's as blunt as it gets. Jesus knows we're constantly trying to accumulate and manage stuff because we're scared of running out. Biblical scholar Paul Metzger comments, and he says, he says this. We'll put this on the screen for you. Like the people of Jesus' day, we don't realize what life in Jesus is all about. Freedom from ourselves and freedom for God and others. As we live abundantly by faith in him and his word, rather than out of the fear of scarcity. So if we believe in scarcity, Jesus believes in something called abundance. In John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The old King James Version of the Bible, this verse uh, is translated, have life, and have it more abundantly. Abundance means over and above. It means more than enough. Jesus is saying, when you follow me, you're not missing out. You're gaining. You're gaining because Christ can transcend all the circumstances in our life so that even in the midst of great suffering or trial or pain, There's a fullness to life that can only come through Christ. Again, in John chapter 1, Jesus says, or it's actually John commenting about Jesus, says, out of his fullness, it's the same word, over and above, more than enough. Out of his fullness, we have received grace in place of grace already given. 2 Corinthians 9 Verse 8, the Apostle Paul says, And God is able, to bless, is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. It's like Paul Metzger says, the people of Jesus' day, just like them, we don't realize what life in Jesus is all about. And instead... We focus on all the stuff that we don't have and the stuff that we think we need. And what that has done to us is that we've equated the best life with having more and more and more 
Whatever our appetite says that we need or that we want, it's more stuff, it's more comfort, it's more accomplishments, it's more pleasure, it's more approval, it's more whatever, whatever that may be for us. Jesus wants to free us from that pursuit, from that fear-driven pursuit that we're not going to have enough, that, that there's a time coming where, you know, the game is up and we're all going to get judged based on how much stuff we've accumulated or whatever. Jesus wants to fear us from having to live in that prison because that's what it is. And he wants us to experience life as though we've been reborn, life to the full, and it's going to be a lot different than you and I expect. We just have to trust him. Well, back on the day when Jesus performed this miracle, all these people are sitting there. They're probably peasants. I mean, they're in today's terms, they're working poor. They're people who probably didn't get three square meals a day. And so Jesus is definitely meeting a felt need here. But instead of receiving this gift, instead of just taking the bread for this day that Jesus has given, something else takes over the crowd. You might call it the darker side of human nature, the darker side of our own appetite for more. This crowd decides huh, you know, if we can control this Jesus guy, we can have whatever we want. We can have all the bread that we'll ever need. Jesus is a great healer. You know, whenever somebody's sick or injured, Jesus will heal us. We'll live forever. We'll be happy. Something else kicks in, and in a blink of an eye, Jesus moves from just, he literally moves from being the fulfillment you know, they've been waiting for the, the Messiah, their hopes and dreams of God's anointed one coming. He moves from being the fulfillment to being the means to an end. Like, you know, if we can just have Jesus, we can get all this other stuff that we really want. You see what happens there? And they say this, they go, um, verse 14, rather than just enjoying Jesus' company, you know, they're like, hey, you know, after they see the sign that Jesus has performed, they begin to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, Jesus withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So what happens here is the crowd decides to take matters into their own hands, to make Jesus king, and so Jesus lives. Or I'm sorry, Jesus leaves, definitely lives. Jesus leaves. And he crosses over, eventually he gets into a boat, he crosses over to the other side of the lake, he goes back to this town called Capernaum. And the next morning the crowd wakes up, realizes that Jesus has left them, and they go looking for him. And while they're, they finally hear that he's back in Capernaum, so they, they travel there, and in verse 25, it says, when, they're talking about the crowd. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, 
but for food that endures. That endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So Jesus reads their true intentions, and he leaves, because he knows what they want. Does the crowd want more of Jesus? No. They just want more bread. Jesus, at one point they say, Jesus, give us this bread. Biblical scholar Paul Metzger, he writes, no wonder they and, and Jesus' later disciples miss all of the symbolism that's contained in this chapter. They stumble, stumble over Jesus' words because they can't get their mind out of their gut. You're looking for me, not because of the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. So if you're Jesus at this point, how exactly would you feel? You know, you're like, I had fun, I had fun with this this week. Okay, if you're Jesus, how would you feel at this moment? You're like an ATM of God cash, right? Oh, Jesus, things are a little tight. Can you spare me a few extra bucks? Or if you're Jesus, maybe you feel like, you know, you're the one-armed bandit. You're the slot machine of miracles, okay? Ah, we might get lucky today. Come on, Jesus. Give it to me, Jesus. Or maybe if you're Jesus, on this day, you feel like the fast food of spirituality, Right? I mean, come on, supersize my healing, Jesus. Give me a side order of heavenly blessing. <laughs> Bring it on, Jesus. But his comments here definitely strike a nerve. I mean, do you want Jesus or do you only want what Jesus does for you? And I know that at any given moment, that's probably a nuanced answer for all of us, right? Right? It's really easy to put our hopes and our expectations, our wishes on Jesus. It's really easy for us to think, you know, if this relationship is going to work with you, Jesus, then I need you to do fill in the blank. But Jesus is no genie. He's not available for hire. The crowd in John chapter 6 wanted him to give them something to eat. But what about this crowd? What about us today? You know, it's really easy to pin our hopes and our dreams on Jesus. You know, Jesus, please help me to get promoted at work. Jesus, please help me to win this game. Please, Jesus, help, help us succeed. Help me to ace this test. Jesus, help me to find a spouse. And I had another one that I had this, this week. You know, it's it's the prayers of our heart when friends are ill and sick and we're praying, Jesus, please heal them. You know, God knows all the desires of our heart. It's actually okay for us to ask him for these things. But we need to pay attention because there's a tipping point where it becomes less about Jesus and more about his stuff. 
And that's the point where I think Jesus is like, yeah, I'm out of here. Because it's, you can't use God in that way. And I catch myself kind of crossing over into that territory. You know, of course God wants to bless me. Of course he wants to bless us. But that's not the reason why we follow him. I mean, sometimes it happens on Sunday mornings. We show up on Sunday mornings. We have this attitude that we just need a quick fix, quick hit from God. You know, let's hear some good music. Let's hear a good sermon. Hopefully our kids have fun in children's church. I mean, it's a beautiful day outside. God, please reward me. I came to church instead of hitting the trail. Come on, Jesus. And the question for us all the time is, well, do you want Jesus? Or do you just want what he does for you? Over and over again, God has stiff-armed God's people when they get to the point of, just give me more manna. Just give me more bread. Just give me more of whatever I want. Because at that point, the relationship doesn't become about you and God or you and Christ. It becomes about you and what the genie, the God genie does in your life. You know, I, years ago, how I, this, this clicked for me as I was looking at this passage. And years ago, Almost every Saturday morning, I would take my kids to, uh, you have this really healthy habit of eating donuts on Saturday morning. And, um, you know, I was still in my 30s at that time, so it didn't matter. <laughs> and my kids were young, and, and you know, I, I knew that I was just their ticket to donut bliss, right? I was the ride, I was the money, we would go, we would get donuts. But there would be something that would happen as we could be stopped, as we were eating donuts at the donut shop. And this wasn't here in North Bend, this was in Bellingham. And so we'd sit and we'd, you know, look out on the street and we'd play this dumb game called I Spy. And, you know, when Bryn was like two years old, it would be like, I spy a red car. And she would go. And Mark would be sitting next to her going, you know, it's right, it's right there. And eventually, as they got older, we graduated up to I spy the letter A, or I spy a, a black bird, or, you know, something more difficult. And so as we would play this game, I would realize, like, they really like doing this. And it's actually more than just the donut. Like, they like this, like just hanging out, doing dumb stuff together. Sometimes I wonder if that's just a little glimpse of how God feels about us. You know, it's not just about the salvation. It's not just about the forgiveness, the grace he provides. It's not just about the, the real material blessings that he brings to us. There's a point when we start loving God not just for what he's doing in our life, but because we love God. We want to be with him. And when we click into that, when we become aware of that tipping point in our life, I mean, it changes everything. A few years ago, five years ago now, my, my sister, she passed away from brain cancer. And I remember 
praying a lot that God would heal her, give her more days, good days. But I also knew that it was probably a one-way ticket that she had. And once I asked her, I'm like, I don't even remember what I asked her. If she's, it had something to do with, do you struggle talking to God these days? And and she said, no. She'd come to peace with the fact that it was just her time. And she didn't know why she had cancer. She didn't need to. It's just my time. And I think of that often. It's just my time. And so with the time that I've been given, like, what am I going to do? And it would have been really, really easy for me, tempting. I was on the verge of it at many moments of just saying, screw you, God. You took my sister in the prime of her life and some other non-nice words. But in the end, I decided that I actually wanted God more than what he could do for my sister. My sister did too. And the promise and the hope that I have is that someday I'll see her again. She was at peace with that. And eventually I was too. And so when we come to these passages in Scripture, and on the surface level, we can say, oh yeah, do I want what Jesus does for me or do I want Jesus? You know, there's always these easy things, and then sometimes I feel like God takes us, you know, takes it to the next level. And what he's asking for us is just have faith, have trust. Believe me that I have your best interests in mind, that I love you, that I care for you, that my grace is enough for you. Keep wanting me. All these other things will work themselves out. And even when we show up on Sunday morning with imperfect intentions, we can flip the switch. We can remember that all we really want, all we really need is Jesus. And he can fill our deepest hungers. He can fill our deepest hunger, our deepest need to love and be loved, to know and be known, to serve and be served, to celebrate and be celebrated. I mean, this is God we're talking about here. And then Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Because Jesus is enough. Amen? Please join me in prayer. Lord, we come before you and we say those words, we mean those words. Maybe I should ask, help us to mean those words. That you are enough. And man, some of us are in a, in a good place and, and we can say that with conviction and we know it and we feel it deep in our bones and we know it's well, that you are enough. And for those of us that are in that place, We give thanks to you, Lord. 
But I know that some of us are not in that place and saying the words Jesus is enough. We might not even be able to say that with sincerity or authenticity because we don't know. And so we pray for those of us that are in that spot to take the, the little bit of faith that we have and to multiply it, Lord, just like you did the loaves and the fishes. That that little bit of faith that we have would be enough to believe you for what you tell us, for what you promise. We pray this in your name.